Chapter 9 of Dawn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dawn by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter 9 Susan Speaks Her Mind. How is Keith? It was Monday morning, and as usual, Mrs. McGuire, seeing Susan in the clothes yard, had come out ostensibly to hang out her own clothes, in reality to visit with Susan while she was hanging out hers. About as usual. Susan snapped out the words and a pillowcase with equal vehemence. Is he up and dressed? I don't know. I hain't seen him this morning, but it's safe to say he ain't. But I thought he was well enough to be up and dressed right along now. He is well enough, or rather he was. Susan snapped open another pillowcase and hung it on the line with spiteful jabs of two clothespins. Why, Susan, is he worse? You didn't say he was any worse. You said he was about as usual. Well, so he is. That's about as usual. Look a here, Miss McGuire, flared Susan, turning with fierce suddenness. Wouldn't you be worse if you wasn't allowed to do as much as lift your own hand to your own head? Why, Susan, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I'm talking about Keith Burton and Miss Nettie Colebrook. I've got to talk about him to somebody. I'm that full I shall sunburst if I don't. She won't let him do a thing for himself. Not a thing that woman won't. But how can he do anything for himself with his poor sightless eyes? demanded Mrs. McGuire. I don't think I should complain, Susan Betts, because that poor boy's got somebody at last to take proper care of him. But it ain't taken proper care of him. Not to let him do things for himself, stormed Susan hotly. How's he ever going to mount to anything? That's what I want to know. If he don't get a chance to begin to mount. All them fellers, them fellers that was blind and wrote books and give lecturins and made things perfectly wonderful things with their hands. How much do you suppose they would have done if they'd had a woman round who said, Here, let me do it. Oh, you mustn't do that, Keithy dear. Every time they lifted a hand to brush away a hair that was tickling their nose. Oh, Susan. Well, it's so. Look a here. Listen. Susan dropped all pretense of work now and came close to the fence. She was obviously very much in earnest. That boy hain't been dressed but twice since that woman came a week ago. She won't let him dress himself alone, and now he don't want to be dressed. Says he's too tired. And she says, Of course you're too tired, Keithy dear. And there he lies, day in and day out, with his poor sightless eyes turned to the wall. He won't eat a thing hardly except what I snuggle up when she's out airin' herself. He ain't keen on bein' fed with a spoon like a baby. No boy with any spunk would be. But can he feed himself? Of course he can, if he gets a chance. But that ain't all. He don't want to be told all the time that he's different from other folks. He can't forget that he's blind, of course. But he wants you to act as if you forgot it. I know. I've seen him. But she don't forget it a minute, not a minute. 
She's always crying and wringing her hands and sighing. Oh, Keithy, Keithy, my poor boy, my poor blind boy, till it's enough to make a saint say, gosh. Well, that's only showing sympathy, Susan, defended Mrs. McGuire. I'm sure she ought not to be blamed for that. He don't want sympathy, or if he does, he had not to have it. Why, Susan Betts, I'm ashamed of you, grudging that poor blind boy the comfort of a little sympathy. My John said yesterday, Taint sympathy he needs. Sympathy's a nice, soft little paw that pats him to sleep. What he needs is a good, sharp scratch that will make him get up and do something. Susan, how can you talk like that? Cause somebody's got to. Susan's voice was shaking now. Her hands were clenched so tightly on the fence pickets that the knuckles showed white with the strain. Miss McGuire, there's a chance, maybe, that that boy can see. There's something they can do to his eyes if he gets strong enough to have it done. Really? To see again? Maybe. There's a chance. They ain't sure. But they can't even try till he gets well and strong. And how's he going to get well and strong lying on that bed, face to the wall? That's what I want to know. Mm-hmm, I see, nodded Mrs. McGuire soberly. Then, with a sidewise glance into Susan's face, she added, But ain't that likely to cost some money? Yes, tis. Susan went back to her work abruptly. With stern efficiency, she shook out a heavy sheet and hung it up. Stooping, she picked up another one, but she did not shake out this. With the same curious abruptness that had characterized her movements a few moments before, she dropped the sheet back into the basket and came close to the fence again. Miss McGuire, won't you please let me take a copy of them two women's magazines that you take? That is, they, they do print poetry, don't they? Why, y yes, Susan, I guess they do. Thinking of sending em some of yours? The question was asked in a derision that was entirely lost on Susan. Yes, to get some money. It was the breathless, palpitating Susan that Daniel Burton had seen a week ago. And like Daniel Burton on that occasion, Mrs. McGuire went down now in defeat before it. To, to get some money? She stammered. Yes, for Keith's eyes, you know, panted Susan. And when I sell these, I'm going to write more, lots more. Only I've got to find a place first, of course, to sell them. And I did send them off last week. But they was just cheap magazines. And they sent a letter all printed saying as how they regretted very much they couldn't accept them. Like enough they didn't have enough money to pay for them anyway. But of course they didn't say that right out in so many words. But as I said... They wasn't anything but cheap magazines anyway. That's why I want yours. Just to get the addresses of, I mean. They're first-class magazines. And they'll pay me a good price, I'm sure. They'll have to, to get them. Why, Miss McGuire, I've got to have the money. There ain't nobody but me to get it. And you don't suppose we're going to let that boy stay blind all his life, do you? Just for the want of a little money? A little money? It'll cost a lot of money, and you know it, Susan Betts. 
cried Mrs. McGuire, stirred into sudden speech. And the idea of you trying to earn it writing poetry. For that matter, the idea of your earning it anyway, even if you took your wages. Oh, I'd take my wages in a minute if— Susan stopped short. Her face had grown suddenly red. That is, I— I think I'd rather take the poetry money anyway, she finished lamely. But Mrs. McGuire was not to be so easily deceived. Poetry money, indeed, she scoffed sternly. Susan Betts, do you know what I believe? I believe you don't get any wages. I don't believe that man pays you a red cent from one week's end to the other. Now does he? You don't dare to answer. Susan drew herself up haughtily, but her face was still very red. Certainly I dare to answer Miss McGuire, but I don't care to. What Mr. Burton pays me discerns him and me, and I don't care to discourse it in public. If you'll kindly lend me them magazines I asked you for a minute ago, I'll be very much obliged, and I'll try to retaliate in the same way for you sometime, if I have anything you want. Oh, good land, Susan Betts, if you ain't the beat of em, ejaculated Mrs. McGuire. I'd like to shake you, though you don't deserve a shaking, I'll admit. You deserve... Well, never mind. I'll get the magazines right away. That's the most I can do for you, I suppose, she flung over her shoulder as she hurried into the house. End of chapter 9 Recording by Susan Burke SueBergVoice.com